Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am so excited for you to be here to join us today. This podcast was originally a live show that was aired across several different social media platforms. The goal of this show is to amplify the stories of amazing people, which serve as inspiration for your journey. Your story matters. It tells us who you are and who you want to be. Enjoy this opportunity to hear from these innovative thought leaders as they discuss what it means to unlock unlimited potential. If you are looking for an opportunity to connect further with me after this show, please visit brandonbeckedu.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, consulting, and other offerings that are designed to help you and your organization find greater results in your journey. Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories show. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am super excited to be here with you all. I am excited to bring to you today the real Papa Omar from the Netflix movie, The Blue Miracle. This is an incredible story. For those of you that haven't had a chance to see it, I am so excited that I was able to track down Omar. We also have Javier Mazoy, who is also the board president at Casa Hogar, the children's orphanage, which is the main place that the whole story is based upon in the movie. If you haven't seen the movie yet, we're going to talk about the movie. I hope that you get a chance to get out and, and see it real soon as it is on Netflix. But most importantly, we're going to talk about the story behind the story. So... Omar, welcome. Javier, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Brandon, for the invitation to be part of the show today. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Thank you so much, guys. We were talking a little bit on the, the, the pre-show. We were working through some technical difficulties, and I'm so glad we're here and finally able to make it. So we talked a little bit about how we were going to talk about the story because a lot of what you told me was there's such an incredible story inside of, of this movie. Um, and they did a great job of portraying it, but they also, in the movie, they did portray some things a little differently. So I think that's an awesome inside view that we're gonna give today. But before we get started, Javier, come in as the board president at Casa Hogar. I would love it if you could just give us a little background about Casa Hogar, and then Omar will tell us a little bit about the story behind the story of Blue Miracle. Okay, well, thank you very much. I uh, guess Casogar. Well, Casogar was a project that was done maybe 25 years ago, but then it stopped. And then the Rotary Club in Cabo San Lucas, which Donna Drain is part of, and Mike Pierce, they restarted or retook the project. I was in the Rotary. And I decided that I was going to do pro bono work. I'm a lawyer. So I said, well, I'm going to do pro bono work for Caso Gat. They took me there one day. The day it was opened after the Rotaries and Donna and Mike and everything put money and efforts. 
And the day I was, is the inauguration, they put the key below the first mat, the mat where it entered. And it says, he said, well, the key is going to be here because this place can never be closed. If it opens one day, will never be closed. So the key has to remain outside, never inside. And at that moment, I say, no, I need to help. Well, at that moment, the governor sent us 21 kids, but without any money. So we had certain money, but we didn't have enough. So after three or four years of struggling, one day we owe money to the Social Security, we owe money to uh, for taxes. Not we don't pay taxes, but the taxes on the on the employees and everything. And uh, one day they came to try to put a lien on our only little boss that we have, the boss that takes the kids to school from the Social Security. And when they came in, I put all the boys. Well, they called me and I went there and they put all the boys in the bus. Well, I put all the boys in the bus and say, well, if you're going to put a lien, it has to be a lien with the boss and kids and myself. So you need to find a place for us to sleep because if you have a lien and you want to take the bus, that's so the, the general manager of the Social Security for La Paz called me and said, what are you doing? And I said, what are you doing yourself? This is our boss. We don't have money. We owe, but come on. So at the end of the day, we kept the boss and we 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 sleep and uh, slept on the on the castle car. And uh, I turned out to another friend of mine, which uh, he has an incredible charitable foundation called Los Cabos Children Foundation, Tom Walsh. And I said to him, Tom, I really need money. I owe $40,000 in taxes. But I need like 60 or 70 because I need also to continue surviving. And he said, if you can put, if you can get a match to match, they call it, uh, if you can put 50000 within the next month, I will give you 50000 Within 10 days, I had a 50000 So he put the 50000 and I didn't pay all the taxes because what I did was an agreement with them to pay them in three years. So I had more money to start redoing the whole thing. And that was when I got involved. I never wanted to be, I just wanted to be a pro bono lawyer doing the good things and saying I was in pro bono. And suddenly I got in love with uh, Casogar. When the movie came in, we were doing okay, not perfect but we didn't owe money to anyone we just wanted to survive because the expenses the annual expenses of Caso because it was it was nominated as the best orphanage in Mexico Omar or the second best orphanage in Mexico uh, because That's of correct. the things we do because of the way we treat we open girls then after that but normally a year takes between 400,000 to 425,000 to run it. We have a psychologist, we have a 24 times 36, five days a year. 
we have three ships, we have uh, drivers, we have, so it's, it's more complicated than it seems. We have right now around 45, 50 boys and girls. And this has been done because of the heart and the goodwill of many persons, uh, basically Americans, Canadians, and some Mexicans. But that's part of Overworld. So that's basically what Casa Hogar is, is part of my my love, my, my heart. Omar, always view Omar. Then he decided and we decided for different reasons that it was a time to to move it, the new board and everything. But that part is incredible. And the, and the fact that we won that tournament, I have like part of the trophy because they give us three. One is in Casogar, I think the other Omar has it. And the other one was, well, for me as a president, not for me. And every time they come to my office, I have it in the front part. And they say, you won the beast beast. And I say, no. It was Castle Bar. I was not even there, but they gave it to me. So now, Omar, I think it's your part. Well, it's it's a uh, it's the story as Javier mentioned it, and and uh, just thinking about uh, Javier and Mike and and Donna being part of the really really the heart of Castle Gar because the three of them are the ones who really got it started, got it going on. And as Javier mentioned it, he was part of the legal side of it, or he was trying to just to be part of the legal side of it. And he ended up being involved on it at a point that, that sometimes he had to go and buy groceries with Mike to, to, uh, to a grocery store. <laughs> so, I mean, once you get inside of Caso Gar, and, and one of the reasons that I got invited to work in Caso Gar, that was to work as a, as an administrator of, uh, that's it. That was the that was the plan, or that was that was I I was hired to be an a, an assistant administrator, not to work directly with the children. Because if if you remember exactly, Javier, when I told you that I didn't work with children, I didn't I wasn't prepared to work with children, and you said no, that's fine. You're just gonna do all the administration side of it. <laughs> yeah, so, well, the same thing with me. I I used to take the kids for breakfast on Saturdays and I got involved. I went, as he said, I used to go to the supermarket to buy things because we didn't have enough. So I bought sausages, ham, cheese, and we just, I just called my friends to say, I need a little bit of uh, money so that all of you can help me. But for, and then once you get involved, which is difficult, Omar, because once you get involved with their lives, because when you talk about an orphanage, this is not really an orphanage. We have some that they don't have parents. They're orphans of life, meaning their mother, her mother was uh, in drugs, in alcohol, a prostitute, or they beat them. So it's really 80% of our kids are kids that come from a very difficult life. It doesn't mean they don't have parents. It means their parents couldn't handle them and they did a lot of damage to them. So one of the first things we did was to put these psychologists and everything because we really needed that. And the government right now is helping us 
a little bit more, not economically, but they support. But at the beginning, there was no support from the government. It was basically us and trying to find out how to invent the wheel and how to, to do this. And, and for me, being a lawyer and for Omar, never been working with this and with the with uh, Mike, we and Donna's help, we were working on ideas, and but it's a lot of responsibility because if something happened to one of these kids, at the end of the day, it's going to be our responsibility, and the government will say, "You are the board members. You are the director. You are the one." So they don't take the responsibility, but they do ask you to be responsible. So Omar, you kind of fell backwards into this opportunity and, and almost had like this moment in your life where it sounds like once you started working with the kids a little bit, it sounds like it started to take off in another direction for you. Well, it, it does. As, as Javier mentioned, and once you start working with children, I mean, you could, you could call it as a, you get, you get a job, okay? And you start working and it's not that you go and work in a factory. You're not, you're not selling cars. You're not building cars. Is that you're, you're doing a construction of a life, right? And it's not that you're starting construction of a lot of a life. You're doing reconstruction of a life of a children, right? Because you have to remove the things that they have been gone through. And, and this is when you get involved emotionally. Okay, and one of the first things that happened to me when, when I started working at Casogari was that really the first, the first, every day, the first two months that I started working at Casogari, I, I just went back home and, and you know what, get on my knees and pray and, 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 and give thank you to God because, because I have my daughter at home and my wife because you don't know the whole issues that they go through, right, until you listen to them. And, and, and one thing is that what you heard from government or what government tells you and the real story, what the kids tell you through every day dealing with, with them, right? So definitely that's when my life took another direction completely and I started working then as an operational manager, okay? And, and working directly with the kids and directly with the staff and try to discuss the best options for them regarding on a social area and a psychological area medical so that's when you have to keep keep to keep track of it and get involved completely on their lives i mean there's there's a few kids that they were really really struggle it could be health or it could be psychological that we went through really difficulties and and one of those kids i mean we were i was traveling with him for about three years because mental issues, okay? And some other kids that they have uh, some psychological damage, that they, they as well have to go to La Paz, like, and this is like two hours from Cabo San Lucas, and has to be there like two times a, a week because they need a special treatment. So, so yes, once you get involved in it, it's, it's a complete different direction than what you think about it when you started on it. Yeah, and it seems like, your kind of the a big moment of your story was what the movie was about. So talk a little bit about how the movie 
portrayed the winning of the fishing tournament and talk a little bit about the idea behind the fishing tournament tournament and how you had no experience and none of you really had the experience like they portrayed in the movie. Talk a little bit about that, the story behind the story on that one. Well, the, the story behind the story, as Javier was mentioning at the beginning of uh, when we were talking, this really happened, started really on a deal when we got impacted by the hurricane. And uh, it, it was a, a Saturday and we had a plan to go to Mexico City, Javier, Luisa, the accountant, and myself, because we were going to, to a training for a nonprofit organization. So this is Saturday, the 14th, and, and I'm talking to Javier on, on the phone, and, and Javier said, get ready, because this is going to really impact us. And I said, no, don't worry about it. We're going to be traveling Monday to, to Mexico City. And he said, no, forget about it. You know what, what the captain of the boat does when, uh, when kids are damaged? I say, I know. He said, so you, you better get ready. So, so at that point, we had our, our some of, two suitcases ready to go to Casa Hogar, uh, Rebecca and my two girls. So we went to Casa Hogar. The reality is that I never, never before had been in a hurricane. So this, is, this was a completely rough experience i broke two fingers because a, a door slammed my 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 right my left hand so i can tell you right after the hurricane that's when everything started because the next morning when we're uh, we're cleaning up uh veronica blanca and some other members of the staff they were cleaning the kitchen they were cleaning the, the whole area and so when they made breakfast, so we pray and thank God that everything was okay. No one got hurt of the children. And so when I made a question to the kids, who was afraid last night? Nobody answered. So I raised my hand and I said, I was afraid. So when I raised my hand, everyone, everyone started raising their hands. So, so, okay. I said, great. So we were afraid last night. So, okay, I start making questions to each one of you, what you were afraid of, right? So there were kids that said, well, I thought the roof was going to be sucked out. Well, I thought that we were going to die. I thought that the wall was going to fall on us. So I said, well, nothing happened, okay? And God is taking care of us, right? So, and so I said, okay, let's pray. Let's have breakfast. And one of the kids, he said, oh, no, 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 hold on. What you were afraid for. <laughs> so I said, I was afraid because of you, because each one of you, because uh, this is, this was tough. I was afraid because it was my first time in a hurricane, and I never expected something that we went through. So they really pushed me to tears <laughs> with the question. At that point, I couldn't contact Javier or anyone on the board to start making decisions on, and I couldn't not even contact the executive director at the time. And I couldn't reach Mike. And I mean, there was no power, no cell phone connection, nothing. So, so we start trying to figure out what to do, protect the house, because after that, all the looting start happening. So that was the second 
thing that came after the hurricane. So when I went out of Casa Hogar to my house to see if everything was okay, and got there, but on the way to my house, I saw, I saw all the, the power lines on the streets, some cars were with walls on top of them, houses down. I mean, I was completely, completely afraid of the things that were going to start happening. So at that point, I never thought about even at, at, at the Beasley's fishing tournament, not at that point. Uh, when we start getting some support from uh, from Donna, because she, she bought two semi-trucks loaded with uh, material and generators and food, and she sent it to Cabo from California. And a week later, I contact Javier. He went to Casogar. He had a patch on his eye because something happened to him on his eye. And I start seeing other people that got injured as well. Okay. And some people start coming to Casogar, knocking at the door, saying, Do you have any help for us? people with children. So at that point, we start getting some uh, some groceries from other people from Northern Baja. So we start doing packages and some of the children in Casogar start doing packages and giving those packages away to food. It was not just Casogar receiving support, it was Casogar giving support out to the community yeah. as well. We, we, received, we received some funds and at that moment, technically speaking, uh, Brandon, we cannot get funds except for the kids, technically speaking, legally speaking. But then we started to receive persons that were willing to give some money to support others. And I say, who cares? I'm going to receive the money and then I will work it out with the government because what we need to do is to buy mattresses, I remember. Yes. We needed to buy food, canned food, water. Yes. A lot, and I start to receive all these donations, but not for the kids, well, for the kids, but to be able to give. So suddenly we have lines of people going to Casa Hogar to receive some support, and that was right. part of where we were. So the the fact, and Omar will tell you that we owe money to the bank at that moment. That's not truth because no. we couldn't even ask for a loan. <laughs> it's as a non-profit, you cannot ask for a loan. How can you, you cannot give the property as a collateral. You could, so that was not part of, of, that's part of Hollywood part. But we didn't know money, but we didn't have money. But we, we say this is a way to support the community. And that after that, the community will support us. So that was part of it. That's right. So, so the kids got involved in donating to the community. They start working, giving packages of food. And so that was like a, a, a teaching for the kids. So uh, between those those days, I went to, to Chris Mill's office and I said, Chris, imagine that the BB doesn't get canceled and we get invited to the to the fishing Chris tournament. Chris was that the, 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 the director? Executive director. So he said, stop dreaming and go to your to your office. You have a lots of work to do. I said, yeah, I do. So the following day, we heard that the business was not canceled. And then three days later, 
one of the members of the board, it's a captain of a boat, he show up and to see if we need something or, or anything he can do. And yes. Jeff, yes. Jeff, Jeff Hasak. And I said, Jeff, do you gonna fish on the Bisbees? And he said, no, are you? I said, no, I don't have money. And he said, well, if you're going to fish, I'm going to give you a 50% discount. And I said, well, if we fish, we're going to win the first place. And he said, oh, yeah, did you ever fish before? I said, no. I said, okay, <laughs> forget about it. He said, there's professionals doing this for business. I said, no, well, this is for Castle Gaps, and we will be the first place. He said, yeah, right. So he left. And then Donna showed up. And that's when, when I made the question, because somehow she was involved on in the numbers of the uh, signing up the people. And, and she was involved with the, with the uh, anonymous donor. Like she right. was involved with him. So, so I made a question, Donna, how many boats do you have signed up already? And she said, there's 56 boats. I said, great. And then she said, oh, no, 57, because there's a boat for you there. So Brandon, when she said that, I was like, they start jumping at the office, and I said, yes, yes, we're gonna win the first place. And and then she said, Omar, did you ever fish before? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, never. So she said, you know, go and enjoy it, go and have fun, take some of the kids and enjoy it. I said, no, 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 no. You know what? When God bless you, he doesn't give you half of it. He prepares the whole blessing for you to show you his power, to show you his love in order so you can look at him as well. So I was so excited about it that I came out of the office telling everyone that we were going to win the Bisbees. And everybody was looking to me like, what? what are you talking about it? I said, yeah, we're going to fish, so we're going to win. And... I, I was so excited about it, and then that's when when uh, when Donna said, "You know what? You're gonna get some money, and you're gonna put it on the pot, so you could make a little bit more money if you win, because you said you're gonna get the first place." I said, "Yes." So when I went and signed up for it, there was a raffle in order to match you with the with the boat or the captain of the boat where you're gonna fish with. So there's someone in front of me because we know, I, I know the guy and he used to run another orphanage in La Paz. And I said, Joel, you're going you're gonna to be part of it. He said, yes, we come to La Paz. I said, no, we come here for the, for the first place. And he looked at me again and said, have you ever fished? I said, no. He said, no, but Joel, Joel, Joel was in Todos Santos. Todos Santos, that's right. That's right. So I said, yes. Uh, no, I said, I haven't fished. So he said, how are you sure you're going to win the first place? I said, because this is God doing it, not me. So, I mean, everyone on the line was looking at me like, this guy is crazy. How he thinks he's going to win the first place. First of all, he hasn't fished. Second, he doesn't know who's going to be fishing with him or what boat he's going to be on it. It could be a, a, a little 23-foot panga, and, and he's thinking about winning, Right. And, and there was another pastor behind me, Ramon Noriega, who he paid, he paid for the entry and he paid for, for the whole thing. And, and he said, so you're going to fish and you're going to win. I said, yes. He said, okay. Okay, that's good. We're just going to have fun. 
I said, great, you go and enjoy your days. We're going to go for the first place. So the first day that we went into the water, and I mean, we I went to pick up the kids at the orphanage, and Laura made the, the breakfast for them. She made burritos, and, and I took them to the boat. We went to the marina, and when we got to the boat, really the captain Ernie he was he was really nice he was a really nice guy he said you know what uh you're gonna enjoy it okay and uh so we jump in the boat and we went out so this is the first day and one of the kids were asking so we're gonna fish today and this is alan and i said no alan we're gonna leave it for tomorrow we're gonna do that tomorrow noon and he said why i said i don't know tomorrow noon let's enjoy the day today so it didn't happen. Nothing happened that day for us. So when we were coming back, we hear on the radio that there's a first place already, a 395-pound marlin. Okay. So I said, well, our fish is going to be bigger than that because we're going to win. Okay. And so the next day, the same thing, went to the orphanage, pick up the kids, the lunch, and we went to the marina, jumped in the boat and went out. So this is 11.30, and Alan comes to me, approached me, and said, Omar, it's 11.30. At what time are you going to plan to fish? I said, well, I told you noon. It's going to be 12. So I get from, I was next to the captain, so I went down, and I asked Christian, this is, this is the, the helper of the, of the captain, and I said, Christian, what are you going to need to do? And he said, well, when the pole starts doing the noise, you're going to grab the, the, the pole and you're going to sit here and I'm going to tie you up to the chair and you're going to, you're going to start pulling. I said, okay, can I share the pole with somebody else? He said, no, the rule is that if you grab the pole, you're the one who's going to take it out. I said, okay. No one can touch it. And no one can touch it. No one else can touch it. So I said, okay, that's great. So I get, I, he puts the bell on me and and this is already like noon already. And I'm turning back to Alan to say, okay, I'm ready. When we hear the noise on the pole, like the line going out. And Christian said, grab the pole. So I grab the pole, sit on the chair, and he locked the, the belt. And it gets recorded at 12.05 when the marlin got on the hook. So has been the longest 43 minutes of my life yeah it was yeah. not four hours like in the movie no 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 but brandon you don't know i've been fishing sometimes and not a marlin a dorado or other fishes with 10 minutes you have enough it's it's really pushing and here you suddenly turn it and then you need to leave the line again and start over again it's it's really difficult yeah, it, it was because when you see that those those big uh, uh, the line that it was like I don't know uh, Christian said it was like a thousand a thousand foot of uh, of line so it went all the way out so I reel it in again and it start it start pulling again the marlin and he said let it go I said no I don't want to let it go I said I'm tired already he said you let it go <laughs> so when I release it again it went all the way out again I was Christian. I'm tired already. This is already, I said, how long has been doing this? He said, only 15 minutes. I said, what? 15 minutes? So I said, you know what? My back was hurting. 
my shoulders were hurting and I was like, I'm done. He said, no, you're not. So you better start reeling in again. So that was 43 minutes. So when the morning got on the boat, it was really the hook was not inside of the of the marlin because usually what they do they eat the the, the lure and they, they get hooked inside so really the hook wasn't on one side of his lip so so christian was so surprised about it so as, as the captain he said you know what usually when this happens it just they break the line he said and this is so incredible to begin with 43 minutes and with the hook on the lip so so that was amazing. When we start going back, I called Javier. Once I got that done, he was on the radio, and I called Javier. Javier, we have the fish, and and we have the fish. So this is the winning fish. We start going back to the marina, and 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 I know you told me we got it. Yes, we got it. The fish of God. The fish of God. And that was what you told me. Which you guys were saying actually to everyone, Castlegat is winning. So, and you guys were saying at the beginning that that was the that's what you thought the movie was going to be called, The Fish of God. That's right. Yeah. So, when we got to the marina, Christian, he said, "You know what? Give me your shirt because I had a shirt that said Castlegat in front of it with the logo, and he caught it and he made a flag of it and he." put it up there on the on the pole of the boat. So when we were coming in, everybody was yelling. I mean, I was in shock to see how many people went to the marina because it was Casaugar bringing the fish in. And Javier mentioned it in the radio. So everybody was at the marina looking and waiting, expecting Casaugar to come in with the, with the fish. So when we got to the scale and they listed, it was 385. So that was the second place, really. And I was, okay, something's going to happen because we're going to get a bigger one to get the first place then. And because I told Javier, I said, tomorrow we're going to get a bigger one because because at that point we didn't we didn't knew that, that the other team it was going to withdraw. I don't know why, but they withdraw and they left us on the first place. So something happened. I don't know. And we end up being the first place. Then that we hear that the next the next morning on Friday, when we're waiting just for the for the shot to go fish, and they announce on the radio, the first place has withdraw, and Casalgar is on the first place right now. So that was Friday morning. So I went on Friday night to take the the test on the on the polygrapher. And and we were went to Baja Cantina a restaurant. Javier was there, Donna was there. There was a, a big group there, and they said, "You know what? Uh, we're just waiting for the last the last boat to get in because they have a marlin to see if they're gonna be the first place or you're gonna keep the first place." So when the other the last marlin got in and got on the scale, they said, "You know what?" You're the first place. Casogar wins the first place. So that was the first place for Casogar, Brenda. That is an incredible story. And my back hurts just hearing you tell it. So, I mean, the 43 <laughs> minutes sounds like it was worth it. 
it was very dramatic the way they they did it in the movie um but you also mentioned the difference of it happened on the second day in real life and it didn't happen on the third day um minor detail there but one thing you did we do on this show is is we dedicate each show to someone who's out there unlocking unlimited potential and you know we talk about ernie Casio, who was the real Wade Malloy, who was played by Dennis Quaid. And we know there was many difference between the two. But talk a little bit about Ernie and his and his helping you guys and in, in kind of the journey to help you bring in this fish and, and how he worked with the kids. Hey, well, just one second, just one thing I want to do. The other that is not truth in the movie, no one ever asked us to have a that fish, so that we can work. That's that's something that is part of Hollywood. It's okay, but never, it never happened. No. Yeah, no. we. I kind of figured that. <laughs> no, no, that never happened. And and one of the things that that happened with uh, with Ernie, uh, again, as I told you, they do a, a a raffle to to match the theme with the captain and the boat. Okay. So at that point, uh, I didn't knew him. Um, I mean, as I told you, I never fished before, so I really don't knew anyone on the marina. So, so when they said, "Okay, it's it's Ernie Cosio on the Mucho Bueno," I was I had no clue, right? So, so he was actually looking for me. So he went and found me and said, "Okay," he said, "Had you ever fished before?" I said, "No." He said, "Had you ever been on a boat before?" I said, well, not on a fishing boat. He said, okay, uh, well, let's go. So he walked me to the marina and he said, okay, this is, this is the, the gate where you're going to, I'm going to meet you tomorrow. Okay. Be sure to be here at 6 a.m. And, and I said, okay, what, what do I need to, to bring? He said, just bring your lunch and your sodas and that's it. You don't need more than that. And he was a nice guy. Okay. And, he was, he was telling the kids because it, one thing that he did every every day in the morning, he went out to the marina because because they fired the shut at seven a.m. So at six, the reason he asked to bring the kids at six, it was to take him out of the marina, and so they could throw some uh, some uh, hooks and and uh, try to catch something. Right there, because the other thing that is is not is real is that being a underage under 18 and being in a in an orphanage legally they cannot put their hands on a pole okay so so he didn't he didn't he want to make the the kids feel good like throwing a pole and get a fish right there before uh going in, into the into the tournament so that he was a nice guy i i i don't hear you Oops, sorry. So the, the the character played by Dennis Quaid was, or created for Dennis Quaid, was primarily fictional. A lot of the story behind him was fictional. But the idea that he was helpful to your children was real. Yeah, that that was the real part of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The other Absolutely. the other thing the the other thing was completely fictional. As Javier mentioned, it uh, to do a. a, a Try to trick and, and, and win with uh, doing something inappropriate. That was completely never mentioned, never brought out. <laughs> yeah, and we talk a little bit about, you know, we talked a little bit about that in the pre-show as well. And I think it's just, 
I think it's amazing that you had this vision and you had this thought in your head, I'm going to win. And people thought you were crazy and, and look what happened. And I love that. And I know that a, the prize money was helpful to the orphanage. So talk a little bit about how did the prize money really help the, the building of the orphanage? Cause I know they did benefit from that. Well, I'm going to tell you, people still think that I'm crazy, which I am. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I, I gotta tell you, it just, it just, it was not something that you have to understand is that when you have faith and you believe in God that he's going to be providing, he's your provision at every time when, when you trust and rely completely on him, that's, that's the provision. And as Javier mentioned it, it, it was that it's not that Castle God had lots of money, but he was not in debt with the bank or debt with anyone that they had to pay the money. Okay. And the money was used to do some remodeling in Casalgar because right on, on 2015 and 16, something started happening and that was the legal, the law for, for children, it changed in Mexico. So they start asking for some remodeling inside of the facilities of the orphanage, of every orphanage in Mexico. Omar, also to, to fix everything that happened with during a hurricane as well, because we had several damages with the pumping system, with the, the water, like, yes, it was used for that. Windows, I mean, windows doors, they were, they were, they were slammed. Some of the door, I mean, all the wood doors, they were, they were flown away and they were, they were in pieces. So definitely that was, that was part of it. Yes. Support of it. And, and, but the money was used properly and completely in Caso Verde. And it couldn't have been more perfect timing, it sounds like. That's right. Which is a pretty That's amazing right. thing. And, and, you know, you talk about, we talk a lot about an education. We talk about leading from the heart. We talk a lot about just believing in yourself as an educator, believing in yourself as someone who is giving service to others and believing in those in which you serve. And the entire time you had that belief that something was going to be provided for these students if you continue to have that faith and have that belief. And I think that's, to me, that's what I really carried from the movie. That's what really resonated with me. And I think that that's something that really will re resonate with anybody who's who has a chance to watch the movie, whether parts of it are fictional or not, the main part of the story, it lives and it breathes right there. Castle Ogar, these students were, or I say students to me, cause I'm an educator, but these children who you all kind of believed needed something better and deserved something better. They were able to get something better because of your belief and you were rewarded for that in some way, shape or form. And, and I love that. And I know that, I know that many people are gonna benefit from hearing that story. So one thing I always ask everybody on this show and you've kind of alluded to it a little bit is if you were to, it, it sounds like really you unlock this unlimited potential in yourself by having this belief in yourself it kind of spread like wildfire into the people, into the kids that you were with and into others around and, and that support, you know, for the people who have been watching this movie and the people who've been seeing your story. I know you've had, you've had visitors like Lady Gaga, you've had other visitors that have come to your uh, facility because 
they believe that there's a really beautiful story here because what the work that you're doing, you know, it's God's work and the work that you're doing is just really exceptional. It's extraordinary. So one thing I ask everybody to complete the sentence here is what does unlocking unlimited potential mean to you? Well, that's, that's a, a really good question. And I think sometimes it's not who we're, if we're doing that work or somebody else is doing that work on us. And at this point, I think the children does that work on each one of the staff and each one of the people that get involved in Casa Hogar, they get unlocked their, their potential by the children. So once you get involved with children, working with children is not what you do with them. It's, it's how the children impact in your life to unlock that, that unlimited potential that you have. And then they're going to see the benefit from it. Okay. So it's not, not that you're doing it to somebody else. It's the children doing it to you. Right. So, so I, I think that's the opposite. Sometimes we're thinking what we're going to be blessing, what we're going to be giving to others. And, and we just forget that we're getting a lot from others. We are getting teach. We, we are getting a lot from other people. And, and sometimes we're walking in life like if we're doing something for others. And reality is when we look and we put attention to it, we're receiving a lot from other people. And, and from my point of view, it, it was me, the one that I was getting unlocked by the children. And, and they were help they helped me to, to get paid. Okay. So, so in reward to that, they were getting that, they were picturing that. And something that we always tell the children is that get to opportunity to know us in Casa Hogar and get, give us the opportunity to know you. Okay. And, and so that way you're going to see who you are and what you can do better. Okay. So for me, that, I that's, I appreciate that so much i appreciate that so much the the whole idea we say this a lot on this show as well as we rise by lifting others and that's the source of your energy that's the source of what you found to unlock this unlimited potential that's what really put into motion your idea of hey i'm gonna win this fishing tournament which everybody thought was crazy but you had this this feeling this belief inside of you and because of the great work you were doing i, I think that that's really that was the reward, right? Javier, right. do you want to add to that? No, for me, I, I trust Omar completely. I think the reason, well, first of all, life is about learning and loving. That's what life is. And that's how I will summarize the way, the way I do things. It's learning and loving. But the reason Omar is no longer there and I was almost going to get out of there is as Omar said, uh, when we worked together, we were so much involved with the lives of our, these kids that at the same time, we were not having any more life ourselves. We were, we were worrying all the time. And at some point I remember my wife to tell me, well, you know something, there's no issue with you, but why didn't you go to live to Casablanca? And Omar has to raise two children, two girls, two Omar's. Yes, and that's right. We got so much emotionally involved that then at some point the board decided 
that we need a new director that was more like a director, which we have, which is great, that we don't get involved that much. Because I was getting involved that much. And Omar, that sometimes we talk at night and we're crying, both of us, and saying, no, this is over. I don't <laughs> want to do anything with this. Besides of the love of the feelings and everything, Omar, in his case, uh, kids that after 18, right now we have a transitory home or transitory uh, after 18, but before we didn't have it. And Omar was having three or four kids living in his house because because they loved Papa Omar, but they were living in his house. And at the same time, his whole family situation was getting complicated because he has a life with, with a wife and with two girls that he needs to grow. So at some point, we all decided that it was uh, emotionally income. It was not possible to be working. And that's when I said, because I actually, when Omar left, I said, I want to resign. And they say, no. And I say, yes, but I don't want to be involved anymore. I don't want to be involved in the sense of that I want to think what is best for Castle Guard. And I want to have an incredible team on my board that tell us how to work it out. And even though this is not a business, and don't take me wrong, it has to be run like a business. You need to get income against income. And we needed to get someone more professional to help us in that, to say, this is where we invest the money. That's part of what I do. But now I have the time for that. Because before, it was getting emotionally involved. And, and that is really, really, really tiring, Omar. I remember you that you were saying, now I see you so happy. And uh, <laughs> yes, and, and it doesn't, Castle Guard is part of our lives and will always be, and part of it. But right now, the way we work it out, I think more professional in a way, more trying to. And Omar, every time I ask him for some help, because sometimes kids older that are already there working or whatever, 22, 23, 20, they call me and say, Javier, can you help me with this? And I say, Omar, how is this kid? He's behaving well because he, he still has contact with all of them. That's awesome. And so the future of Casa Hogar is that it sounds like it's going into a place where it's being ran better in, than it was before when you guys were really struggling a bit, especially around the time yeah. of the hurricane, for sure. And it sounds like you, you are continuing, but it obviously still needs support. So how can people continue to support the work at that's Castle a, That's Hogar. a very important question, and I'm going to tell you. We have had a lot of, uh, I don't know if females, but in, uh, in social networks or whatever, uh, a lot of people saying, I want to be a volunteer. It's very difficult to be a volunteer from if you don't live here. If you, We have a volunteer program, but it's limited because we have our daily people that goes. The best way to support Castle Rad, and we have a Canadian charity that helps us. We have our own, see whatever they call it in the US, that it's for the nations, Friends of Casa Gar. We have our Mexican charitable foundation. The best way to support is to give five dollars, 10 dollars, 15, whatever you call it. We can give a receipt for everyone. 
but that's the best way. I'm going to tell you, we normally used to have an annual fundraising that was is our main event. We raised $250,000, $300,000. We have been almost two years without being able to do it because of COVID. So that has diminished our income. And uh, we had certain money, but we've been using that because we haven't been able to do a fundraising. So any money is welcome from $1 to, we have the applications, I can send them to you after, like where do you send it? And we have our financial statements, no website, we have everything. So the people knows that every money as a difference with some other uh, charitable or basically we pay our workers, all the board members, we don't charge anything, of course. And uh, the money that is in goes to Casa Hogar, never to someone else. It's it's always Casa Hogar, is to pay the salaries, is to pay the food, is to pay everything. And all the board members and advisors, we do not charge one night. I can hear you. You don't have audio. So the, so the best place, I did it twice. I did the unmute. Sorry, I'm an educator. I mute myself all too often. Sorry about that. So the best place for people to find more information about how to do that would be your website, which is right here on the yes, screen, which yes. is casahogarcabo.com. Yes. You could go to casahogarcabo.com or you could go to the Facebook page, which is yep. Casahogar de Cabo San Lucas AC. And, and then friends of... Friends of Casover in, uh, in the United States. Yes. Well, listen, guys, we've been talking. I could talk to you guys a lot longer, but I know you have very important work to do. So I really appreciate you all coming on the show, and I appreciate you telling the story. For those of you out there that have not seen the movie Blue Miracle, please check it out. It's on Netflix. While you're checking it out, remember that you can always go back and check out casahogarcabo.com and all the other awesome sites we talked about today to support this incredible cause, to support this incredible place, and to support the incredible work of people like Omar and Javier and all the others that they've mentioned today. So continue to understand that out there, that there is ways to support this organization. And I hope that you will please consider helping them out because this has been an incredible story. It's been an incredible journey and I'm so glad that you guys were able to come on today. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. No, thank, thank you, you Brandon. Brandon. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And so remember everybody out there that the journey toward unlocking unlimited potential begins with you and continue to educate with passion and purpose. Thank you so much, everybody. Have an awesome day. Take care. This podcast is proud to be a part of the Codebreaker Podcast Network and also the entire family of disruptors at Codebreaker.